Let's just go to the Lord in prayer. God, I thank you so much for this opportunity to share your word. God, I realize that I am nothing but a vessel, and um, my opinions about your word don't matter. God, it's, it's what you want to say through it, what your intent was, God, why you wrote it, and what you were saying. So I pray that you would help me to just filter any of me out and that um, I would share what your heart is feeling today and God, just words of encouragement. And I pray you would open our spirits and our minds in your name. Amen. So tomorrow we're going to celebrate the 4th of July. Um, and I mentioned, I think we've already begun uh, some celebrations. In honor of Bob, I thought I should probably throw in some random historical fact that has nothing to do with the, the sermon. So that's what we'll do. <laughs> um, I was going to just share the idea of where fireworks came from because that is a huge part of our celebration. We usually have picnics on 4th of July. We uh, have patriotic desserts where we try to cut out the strawberries and, like, make a flag and, you know, you nail it and it's, like, Pinterest disaster. Um, we have some very tacky red, white, and blue outfits that we're all like, oh, you're so cute. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Um, but the most recognizable tradition is definitely fireworks, something we all look forward to and something I no longer enjoy since I go to bed at like 8 o'clock. I have to watch them on TV later. Um, but I thought I'd share the fun fact where they came from. In 1776, the future president, John Adams, imagined in a letter to his wife, Abigail, that a sparkling sky would honor the soon-to-be independent 13 colonies every year from that point on. And so he wrote on July 3rd, 1776, I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. He also wrote, it ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shoes, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward forevermore. He would be the second president of the United States, and a year later, they would begin to illuminate the sky in Philadelphia, as was intact with his vision. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, the 4th of July is definitely exciting. It's an important celebration because we are celebrating freedom. Freedom is the reason that America is the greatest country on this earth. Can I get an amen? Amen. But the cost of America's freedom was not cheap. It was paid for with a very precious price. And if you watch how many lives have been given over the years for this country, it is humbling and it is solemn and it is something we should give homage to. Uh, but the beauty of the freedom is that even those of us who did not pay a price for it are given the same privileges and the same benefits. Uh, we met yesterday to have a picnic with my family, and Les Horton came, and um, we bowed our heads, and my dad prayed over the meal, and he thanked God for the country and those who had given their lives for it. And we did not plan it or nothing, but it must have been in our hearts, you know, as soon as the prayer ended, we all go, thank you, Les. And um, 
and he just kind of, you're welcome, you know, he just kind of looked at, but I said, because we all knew that none of us had paid a price. No one in my family had served. And it was just immediately in our hearts, it was like, well, who do we say thank you to? Because we had not paid that price yet. We have the same freedom that Les has. Um, right now, I guess I would just ask who, if you have served this country, either prior or right now, I want you to stand just so we can say thank you and take a moment. Stand up. Amen. We thank you with all sincerity. We thank you. What's amazing is that these are usually some of the most humble people. So they usually don't even want to stand up. But they need to because we need to honor what was done. Some of the most important freedoms that were fought for are freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to assemble, among many other liberties, these are freedoms that we have enjoyed. And I thank God all the time for the freedoms that I get to experience. None is more precious to me than the freedom to worship. I don't take that for granted. I thank God every single time I'm in this building that we can do this with freedom, with each other. There are many of uh, our friends and fellow ministry partners who don't have that freedom. They're not worshiping like we are. They will walk miles and miles and miles to go to a hidden place and worship. This is precious. What is concerning to me is that we're at a great risk of losing some of the freedoms that we have come to take for granted. Why? Why are we at risk? We have taken freedom and we've used it to do things our founding fathers never intended for those freedoms to permit. During the past few years, we've seen some pretty gross distortions, in particular in the freedom of speech and assembly. There have been hateful demonstrations. There have been acts of violence and destruction of property and great disrespect to our national buildings, to those in authority over us, and even to our flag, all in the name of freedom. I want to read um, a quote to you that has a little debate behind it because it's been proven that the quote is not exactly as I'm going to quote it to you, but it was from a speech Abraham Lincoln made. And the heart of it, if you read the actual speech, is exactly this. It is just worded in a way that is more simple and short. But the quote is, America will never be destroyed from the outside. If we lose our freedoms, it will be because we have destroyed ourselves from within. I, I love that. Um, I love Abraham Lincoln. I love to learn about him and study um, his life. But I think that that quote is so evident now. I mean, how many centuries later, and we are seeing this. When freedom is used to serve ourselves, our ambitions, our desires, our selfish wants, that's a problem. 
When we abuse freedom, we lose freedom. Never before have people been so empowered to believe that they can say whatever they want, whether it's true or not true. They can live however they want, no matter how it affects everyone else. And they can abuse the freedoms that have been given to us to engage in behaviors that ironically only end up enslaving them. This is where we are in America. We've been given such a precious gift of freedom, but it's being twisted to promote selfish agendas rather than to become the nation God called us to be as a whole. The protections that were set up for us, the liberties, the freedoms, they were set up for the government as a whole, as a body, as a nation. But we've taken them and wanted to abuse them and use them for our own desires, for our own ambitions. As we think about our country and, and we celebrate and we think about where we are today and, and freedom and what's happening to freedom, I can't help but think about a much bigger picture and the freedom that is so much sweeter, so much greater, and so much more important. And that's the freedom that we have through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The freedom that he gave to us when he chose to die on the cross and pay the price so that we were no longer slaves, but we were free. Romans 8, 1 through uh, 2 says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Jesus Christ from the law of sin and death. You are not just free to live in a great country, but Christ came so you could be free from sin, free from the law, and free to have relationship. John 8, 36 says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And 2 Corinthians says, now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So why are so many Christians not free? Why are we not free from the grip of sin? Why are we not free from anxiety, from the cares of the world? Why are we not free from anger? and rage, from selfishness, from the pool of the world, where is the joy of our salvation? Where's the peace that passes all understanding that the Bible talks about? Where is the integrity and the righteousness of someone who is free from sin? Because these things stand out like a beacon the world needs to see freedom in us. The world is living in such heaviness, and they're walking in bondage, and we should be walking in freedom because the price has been paid. Live free like you are free so that others can see that freedom in you. Why is it we're not walking in this? Could it be that we've misunderstood what freedom in Christ is? As Americans, we have a tendency to see our freedom as personal independence, the ability to make our choices, no matter what they do to anyone else. 
It's the freedom to make our own decisions, be what we want to be. Could this sound any more opposite than the freedom that comes in Christ? Christ did not come and set you free so you could do whatever you want to do. That is not the freedom that we have been given, but that's how we're behaving. Awesome. Christ paid the price. So, like, no matter what I do, no matter how I live, don't tell me because he loves me. Oh, he does. He does love you. But that's a slippery slope. That's the wrong path. That's not the point of your freedom, and you're going to see why. He set us free so we could be free to do what was right. We were liberated so we could have a personal relationship with him. And through relationship, we could live a holy life. A holy life is the only life that's truly free. I think that we can all attest that living in bondage to sin is not freedom at all. It starts off with us feeling like nobody's going to tell me, nobody's going to make me, nobody's going to condemn me, nobody's going to... And we find that we ourselves are condemned in ourselves from this freedom we have chosen to abuse. Just as many Americans have taken for granted the price that was paid, that most of them did not earn themselves. We have been guilty of taking for, for granted the price that was paid for us. We abuse our freedom by taking spiritual things, something that was given to us as a spiritual gift, and making it selfish. What happens when we take the liberties God's given us and we begin to walk in the flesh with them? Again, when we abuse freedom, we lose freedom. So ironically, we become slaves again, but to something different, right? Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Do you know you possess that choice? It says you, don't let it happen. Don't take up another yoke. Don't become free in Christ to live the life he's called you to live, to be filled with what he needs to fill you with, to live a good, a righteous, a holy life, and then become a slave to something once again. When Christ died on the cross, he eliminated all the red tape. We didn't have to jump through hoops anymore. We no longer had burdensome religious rituals we had to fulfill. We didn't have to do any of that to receive forgiveness. We simply had to be repentant and just ask. And freely it was given to us. We were invited into a beautiful and simple relationship with Jesus. Because why? God did not want us to perform for him. He didn't want us to wrestle for a place with him. He just wanted us to choose him out of love. He wanted a relationship that day after day, we would choose him of our own accord because he had given us the freedom to do that. That freedom 
was paid for and it's ours. So if we're not walking in it, what are we missing? I want to read you a scripture, John 15, 4 through 5. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do what? Absolutely nothing. Nothing good. What does abide mean? Abide literally means to stay or to remain. It means to accept or to act in accordance with a decision. Abiding in Christ is a decision to stick to the commitment you made to Christ. It's a choice to stay connected to the source, the vine. It is to stay connected to the new life you were given. What is a branch without a vine? I'll tell you what it is. For those of us that were raised in the 80s, it's a paddle. It's a <laughs> Can I get an amen from my friends in the back? I will get a switch and no. Okay, it is the branch. Um, it is something that children use for swords to whip around at each other. But it has no ability to produce anything. It's over. It's dead, right? The only job that a branch has is to hold on to the vine. That's it. That's the only job that it has. And as we can see from what it was used for when I was a child, if it becomes detached, it's used for pretty much nothing good but to beat around and wave in the air. But it's never going to produce anything real. It's never going to be more than that. The branch is incapable of producing fruit if it's not connected to the vine. If you're not free, maybe it's because you've become disconnected from the vine. The problem is when we're disconnected, we almost fail to, to acknowledge that we're disconnected, and we still try to make fruit happen. We're like doing everything we can to make fruit appear on this branch. But the problem is fruit is not the product of a branch. It's not the product of a branch working hard. It will never happen no matter how hard you try to do something with that branch. It will never produce fruit. Our good works are never going to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit, ever. No matter how hard you try, you can hold it together for a little bit, right? We can keep our mouths shut for a little bit. Wives, amen. And then all of a sudden, if you're not under the power of the Holy Spirit, you're like, but you. We have an ability to do certain things in our own power for a limited time. But eventually, the fruit is going to be exposed or the lack of. No matter how hard you try, you can't live for Jesus in your own power, in your own ability. You can maybe take on the role and you can be an actor, 
in the play of Christian, but you can't really live for him in your own power. You're just conforming, but you're not transformed. Even Jesus said in John 5, I can do nothing apart from the Father. Jesus said that. He said, apart from the Father, I do nothing. I do what the Father says. I do what he tells me. And my power comes through the Spirit and the Father. When Jesus left the disciples, he also told them that they are going to need to abide in him and to stay in the safety of the Father. And he said, you know what I'm going to do to help you do that? I'm going to give you a helper. Because you're going to need, I'm not going to stay here in the flesh, so you're going to need something to connect you to me. And he said, I am sending the Holy Spirit. And he is the power to live right. You need him. You need him to live inside of you. You need him to help you discern how to use this freedom that I am paying the price for when I go to the cross. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit. He said, again, apart from me, you can do nothing. I want to just fill in this blank. Let's, bring, let's make it real. Apart from me, you cannot. Fill in the blank. You cannot be the husband or wife you need to be. You cannot be the parent you want to be. You cannot be the Christian you want to be. There are some specific things I feel like today maybe are weighing on some of our hearts that we feel like we cannot do. And I'm not just saying, yeah, I don't think I can do that. I'm saying you're at the point where you're just like, there, it's impossible. There's no way. I cannot. Maybe it's I cannot forgive. That's a hard one. You're right. You can't. Forgiveness is not natural. <laughs> it's not easy. It's painful. And so many of us have been through so much pain. Here's what Ephesians says. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another. How? As God in Christ forgave you. you. No, you cannot forgive unless you abide in the one who is forgiveness. Proverbs 4.25 says, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. It's got to be him. It's got to be him. We've got to be focused on him in order to do the impossible. Maybe it's not forgiving someone else. Maybe it's forgiving yourself. Maybe you just can't let go. You just can't forgive yourself for what you've done, for the role you played, for where things have gotten. And you just think it's too far gone. It's, it's just over. It's impossible. Titus 2 says, for the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate. He will turn his face to you if you return to him. He promises he's not going to abandon you. He's going to turn toward you. 
maybe you can't believe anymore. Apart from me, you cannot believe. In Mark, uh, there was a man who was seeking for healing for his son. He said, I believe. Help my unbelief. No, you can't believe enough for it to happen. No, you don't have enough faith. But he does. He has the faith to give you. Maybe it's to persevere. To put it in plainer terms, maybe you just feel like you cannot continue. Have you ever been there? I just can't go on. I can't do it. I can't do one more crisis. I can't do one more fight. I can't do one more try. I just can't. First Peter says, now the grace, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory will personally restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little. He promises he's coming. He's coming. If you abide in him, he promises to restore you. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. If you abide in him, your weakness will become your greatest strength. Maybe it's love. I just can't love. No, you can't. Nope. Not in your own human strength. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God. This is in 1 John. We love because he first loved us. How do we get the power to love? Through his love. How do we get the power to trust? We depend on God. We learn that he is able to make everything work for our good. In 2 Corinthians, he says, in every way, having everything you need, you will excel in every good work. We can trust him. Maybe it's to be righteous. Maybe you just cannot stop sinning. You just can't stop. You can't stop. You can't give it up. You can't control the addiction anymore. You can't control the thoughts anymore. You feel like your behavior is out of control. Here's what 2 Chronicles says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation. Do you want to know what his salvation says? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to worldly passions. It teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. You are not capable of overcoming sin or Jesus would not have died on the cross for you. He would have let us do it. We cannot overcome. But if we abide in the vine, he has the power to stop sinning, to live a righteous and a holy life. I was thinking when they were singing that song, uh, that last song was talking about you are my champions. Giants fall when you stand undefeated. He's the champion. He's the one with the power. He's the one you have to attach to. We have to have a shift in the paradigm of our thinking from working hard to live for Jesus to learning to surrender so he can live through us. 
Um, there's a book unburdened, and there's a quote from Vance Pittman out of it. It says, it's not about you living for him. It's about allowing him to live through you. We have to shift that thought. We've become so conditioned to focus on working hard on our checklist with Jesus and thinking if we do the right things enough and we perform well enough, we'll earn God's favor and his forgiveness. So we go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. We even believe if we try hard enough, we will eventually overcome our sin. We work so hard, we exhaust ourselves. And we make what was supposed to be a relationship that brought freedom to just another form of slavery. Religion can become slavery for us. We toil, we try and perform when our only job ever was and ever will be to abide in Jesus Christ. So what is the bridge between the impossible, all these cannots, and the things we keep striving for, and true freedom? How do we abide? One simple word, grace. Through grace. Ephesians, that's right, grace. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so no one can boast. Talk about a precious gift. He has given you the gift of grace. We don't have to be perfect because he's given us his grace. God's law was given so people could see how sinful they were. But as people sin more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. That's in Romans 5. And Ephesians says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Do you know what grace does? It doesn't excuse us. It is a blanket that of, of peace. It is a blanket of fresh start. It is a blanket of forgiveness that comes when we repent. When we are truly sorry and we truly come to a place where we know we can't do it on our own, then grace. And grace takes it from there. One of the most powerful studies I ever did was a study uh, with Beth Moore on, out of the book of Esther. I know that some of the women here, we've done that together. I mean, years and years and years ago. I don't even know how long. But at the beginning of the story, she had us, uh, there was these blanks in our book. And it had if blank, then blank. And this is kind of how it started. And we learned kind of early on in the study that in that first blank, we were to put our greatest fear. What is the worst possible thing that you could think of? Like your worst fear, the thing she's like, don't tell anybody else, but write it in. And you know, you're almost afraid to write it because you're like, if I write it, the devil knows what my greatest is. <laughs> but, we, but we had to put in the greatest fear. And as the study progressed and we were giving kind of the resolution of this study, it was no matter what was in that first blank, the second blank was going to be God. If 
What is your greatest fear? Put it in the blank. You know what? Then God. That's it. Period. Then God. Period. God would be there unconditionally. He would be there no matter what. He would be in that space before you got there. Before you ever got there, he was waiting for you. He would be enough. He was right before the period. It didn't matter how big, how scary, how overwhelming. He would be there. I'd like to kind of just use that same uh, little analogy with the blank and just ask you, what was your cannot? What was the impossible thing? I cannot. I cannot dream again. I can't. It's over. I cannot believe. I cannot endure. I cannot return. I cannot give up. I cannot begin to. I cannot obey God. What is that cannot? And what I want you to do is put it in that blank, but then grace. I cannot, but then grace. Because grace transforms our desires, it transforms our motivations, and it transforms your behavior. How do we surrender to this grace? When Paul wrote his letter to the church in Ephesus, he said this, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked people. You've tested those who were apostles but are not and have found them false. You've persevered, you've endured hardship, and you've not grown weary. In other words, I know about all you've done to work and to toil. I know about all the good things you're doing. I know how hard you're trying. But he says, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Where are you in your love with me? Repent and do the things you did at first. Do you think Paul's saying do all the works again that I just mentioned, all the hard work, all the perseverance, all the toiling? No, no. What's the very first thing that happens when we have a relationship with Jesus? We fall in love, we commit, we revel in the new freedom and the joy that we feel in this relationship, and, we, and we're so happy to leave that life behind because we're so in love. Remember how in love you were with that spouse or that first love? Remember the first, the butterflies? that you would do anything, you would put them first, you would rearrange your schedule, the excitement to see them. He's saying, come back. Come back. Love me. In Mark 3.14, and I'm wrapping it up here, um, Jesus, it says that Jesus appointed 12, designating them apostles, and it says that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach 
and to have authority to drive out demons. But catch this, the first reason in this scripture that Jesus chose disciples was to be with him. That was his very first priority. They were going to go out and turn the world upside down. They were. They were going to go give their lives for him, most of them all but one. They were going to have authority to drive out demons, to heal, to do the miraculous. But their first thing was to just spend time with Jesus. They fished with him. They ate with him. They traveled with him. They talked with him. They shared fellowship with him. Before they ever did anything significant for him, they were with him. The first reason he wants for you is relationship. It's not so that you can get a golden ticket to heaven. That's a great perk, and I look forward to that day. But there's life here on earth with him where we walk in relationship. And there are many things we're going to do in Jesus' name. But that wasn't the reason really he came. He came because he loved you, because he wanted to have fellowship with you. He wanted to have relationship with you. If it's as simple as being with Jesus, why are we exhausted? Why are we carrying burdens we weren't meant to carry? Why are we striving? Well, when's the last time you just talked to Jesus? There's a great song by Elevation, Talking to Jesus. And I listened to it, and I'm just like, yep, she was talking to Jesus. Because I talk to Jesus in my car. I talk to him on walks. I talk to him with ice cream. Hallelujah. That's my best talk. I talk to him when it's serious and we got to get down to business. We were driving in the car and Ella's going to sing in a nursing home. And she said, what, what should I sing? You, you haven't picked a song yet. I said, because I'm going to ask Jesus. And he's going to tell us. She's like, well, do it. I'm like, okay, Jesus, we need to... I mean, he wants to talk to you about everything. If you're feeling lost, if you're feeling disconnected, open your Bible and read in the New Testament about Jesus. Learn about him. Learn of him. When I want to learn about someone, I'm a biographer. I love to watch biographies and read them and listen and uh, poor Tim, he had to watch La Bamba probably a hundred times when we were teenagers because I love real life stories. You want to know about Jesus? Read about him. Talk to him. Learn how he operates, how much he loves you. The template for living a life of freedom has not changed. It's very simple. Be with him first. He's got to be the greatest love of our life. He's got to be the source of everything we do, we say we're running after. If we're prioritizing a love relationship with Jesus, he will do the work. You can stop trying to live for him and start letting him live through you. But you've got to be surrendered for him to do that. Those cannot situations, those areas in your life that have held you in bondage and keep you trapped, 
those can become trophies. You'll begin to see victory in areas of your life that you have been powerless to change. Christ living through you is going to perform the miraculous. But it's time for you to fall in love again in order for that to happen. I just want to pray for you right now. I'm going to ask um, if the prayer elders could come up as I end in prayer. God, I thank you so much for your word. God, there is nothing I love more than your word. God, nothing. It's everything. It is a love letter to us. And God, if we read it, we fall more and more in love with you every time. So God, I pray that the love that I'm talking about would resonate today. God, that those that are feeling helpless, overwhelmed, just feeling the weight of the impossible on their shoulders would be able today to surrender it to you, to just simply focus on falling in love with you again, on being with you, on being who you have called them to be. As Bob said, God, you've already said who they are in you. I pray that they would receive it. I pray your word would be so simple today. I pray that no one would walk out of here with a burden they don't need to, that they would not be embarrassed or ashamed or distracted from getting the help that they need in you. I thank you for freedom, God. I thank you so much. I love you, and I never want to take that for granted. God, may we be ever thankful from where we were and what you brought us to, Lord, through freedom. I love you. I thank you in Jesus' name.